Good evening, everyone. We will continue our discussing discussion of the Bhagavat Sandharva of Srila Jiva Goswami. Uh, tonight we'll begin with Anucheta 41. A short description would be the Lord's body contains everything. Therefore, all these various forms and universes are contained within the form of Sri Krishna. So this is the last praman, the last Anucheta, with the evidence that's provided coming from the prayers of Lord Brahma. So this will kind of conclude a section that has given us a lot of philosophical truths based simply on those prayers of Lord Brahma from the 14th chapter of the 10th canto, the Brahma Mohan Leela, where Brahma proceeded to show Krishna his mystic opulences. There was some one-upmanship in the exchange, and uh, Krishna came out on top. So after he was firmly defeated in a war of mystic opulences, Brahma offered some prayers to Krishna. And Jiva Goswami has utilized these prayers uh, extensively. Uh, I guess it's been probably eight or nine anuchedas where he's he's really used these prayers to arrive at philosophical conclusions and, and uh, pass those conclusions on to us. And most of those conclusions are dealing with the, uh, the nature of the Supreme Lord's manifestations, his forms, because what Brahma saw truly amazed him, that Krishna had uh, expanded himself into all the cowherd boys and calves, and they were exact replicas, because Brahma realized with his mystic vision, he could see when he re returned after a moment of his time, which was a year in Krishna's Leela on earth, he could see that the calves and the cowherd boys were still in the cave where he'd put them. But Krishna was playing with the same calves and cowherd boys in Leela just as he'd been playing with them before, Krish before Brahma took them away. So Brahma, when he first realized there's two sets of calves and coward boys, his first question was, which one is, which are the, which are the, which ones are which? Which, which are the ones I stolen, and and who are these other ones, or are the other ones that I stole? Did Krishna put some replicas in a cave, and and and, and he's playing with his calves and cowherd boys, and then Krishna. Kind of revealed his mystic opulences and showed him that he had himself expanded into all the calves and cowherd boys. And right before Brahma's eyes, those same cows and cowherd boys turned into Vishnu forms. So if you go into my office, you can look at the picture and you can see how this transformation is there this revelation and then to take it one step further all those Vishnu forms were being worshipped by all the various inhabitants 
of different universes that they were the Vishnu of. So Garbhadakshai Vishnu enters into each individual universe and all the demigods worship that form of the Lord within a particular universe. And whenever there's disturb disruption in in human society or in the society of the demigods, they go to the ocean of milk, like we saw at the beginning of the tenth canto of the Bhagavatam. They appeal to that Vishnu, could you please manifest and rectify the situation? It's beyond our control. Just like sometimes there'll be a forest fire. The firefighters will actually just, they'll come and they'll tell the public, there's nothing we can do. If there's no rain, the forest fire is out of control and we can't get control of it. So sometimes the demigods who control universal affairs get into a situation where the demoniac forces within a universe overpower them and they can't control it. So this is the situation that prompted uh, the advent of Lord Krishna, that the demigods appealed to Brahma, and Brahma said, well, it's beyond me. All, there's so many demoniac kings who've taken over the planet, I can't even help you. Let's, let's go to Krishna. We know he can handle it. So, in each universe, there is a manifestation of the Supreme Lord, Garbo Dakshai Vishnu, and he also resides within the universe, in his own planet, which is a spiritual planet, within every material universe. And in his planet, it's surrounded by an ocean of milk, and you can't really gain entrance there. Even Brahma stopped at the at the ocean of milk he couldn't catch a boat across <laughs> he had to say his prayers from afar and appeal to the Lord please you come and you rectify the situation for us so those forms of the supreme Lord that were the cows and the calf herd boys that turned into the Vishnu forms and then the Vishnu forms were seen as worshipped by Brahma in his in this revelation, the spiritual revelation that that all these different Vishnu forms were being worshipped and they were masters of universes because he saw himself worshipping one of them and he saw other Brahmas worshipping the others. The other Brahmas maybe have had more heads and more, you know, because they were larger universes and had more uh, more to deal with, but he he saw this in his in his revelation, and then those forms of the Lord, Lord Vishnu, being worshipped by all the inhabitants of the u individual universes, became those universal manifestations. Again, right before Brahma's eyes, his prayers are dealing a lot with understanding and revealing 
through the prayers the revelation that he's just experienced. <coughs> and Jiva's pulled from this and relayed in his Bhagavat Sandarva information utilizing the praman, the evidence given in these prayers by Brahma to support philosophical conclusions regarding the Lord's form, his manifestation. So Brahma now concludes this topic in his prayers by saying the following, Therefore, this entire universe, which is insubstantial, when he saw so many manifestations, how many manifestations? It's hard when we look at a, a painting, a rendering of Krishna and his cowherd boys, we see, oh, there's a few dozen boys there in the picture. No. And there's a you know, you know maybe maybe a hundred little calves. No, there's uncountable calves and cowherd boys in Krishna Leela. So, therefore, Brahma's saying here, this entire universe, which is insubstantial. I just saw billions of universes, uncountable like a dream which covers consciousness which is full of abundant and endless misery and which is arises and which arises out of your maya potency still appears as real because it is situated in you who are limitless and possess a body that is eternal full of bliss and consciousness how does the universe appear? It appears as real, sat, and also as arising, uja api, i.e. repeatedly appearing and disappearing. Though arising, it appears and disappears again and again. It exists in him alone, from whom it appears and in whom it dissolves, just as earthen products arise from and dissolve into the earth. So we can take from Brahma's prayer, Jiva's taking, he's, now he's, he's putting it in his own words, what, what he wants to highlight from Brahma's prayer. The Lord's manifestations of these universes appear to be real but they're not real in as far as they they come and they go they manifest and they dissolve the lord from his energy the universe has come out and at the end of a certain course of time they go back into him so that's the point the potency krishna's maya Krishna's material maya assists in the manifestation and the dissolution of the material universes. And Jiva introduces an analogy. 
just like we can see from the earth, the ingredient earth, a pot can come. An earthen pot. And after you've had your sweet rice in the earthen pot, you simply throw it out in a pile and it again becomes mud again. It becomes earth. So now we have the introduction of a dialogue. Well, Krishna says, does this mean I undergo transformation? <laughs> You're saying the universes are coming from me and then they're coming back in, into me. Well, does that mean I go through transformations? Rama answers, no. The universes arise out of your maya. Or in other words, through your special inconceivable potency. This is confirmed in the Brahma Sutra, Vedanta Sutra. God or Brahman is free from all modifications. Jiva's drawing in this dialogue that he's presenting in the Anucheda to bring out the philosophical points, he's saying, no, we can go to the Brahma Sutra, which is the Vedanta Sutra, and we find this sloka there that the Supreme, Brahman, is free of all modifications. Because Scripture declares this is the case, it is only through the scriptural revolution, revelation that we can learn about God. Going back to the very beginning of the Tattvas and Dharva. If you want to know spiritual, what's really truly spiritual, and this is what we ended on in the last discussion, you need to have spiritual knowledge that's descending from those who actually have had spiritual revelation. And the topmost experiencer of spiritual revelation is the Supreme Lord himself. So all of the all of the Shruti is considered to be the breath of the Supreme Lord. All the revolution revelation coming in the Shruti is is the voice of God. So these are the Upanishads. Your energies are transformed without any transformation occurring in you. Then we go to the Vedanta Sutra and we take a praman, an evidence from there. The universe has been likened to a dream because it appears and disappears repeatedly and not to imply that it is a product of the imagination due to ignorance. As Brahma Sutra states, and this is the Sutra, because the universe has different characteristics, it is not like a dream. So the universe is a product of the ignorance feature of Maya. This covers the living entity's awareness of the supreme goal. So the material universe, the whole manifestation, and we can gain deeper understanding of how the universe comes into being, how the universal elements are manifest, and how the subtle elements, mind, intelligence, and false ego, how, influenced by the modes of material nature, the false 
ego, the false identification with both the gross and the subtle constituents of material nature bewilder the jiva. An in-depth analysis is there in the third canto as relayed by Lord Kapila to his mother Devahuti. Being primarily influenced by ignorance, goodness, passion, and ignorance. The primary influence of ignorance is the manifestation in the beginning of a creation of false ego. Because of that misidentification, what's the characteristic of our involvement in material life? Primarily misery, because we like misery so much, we have company. <laughs> without the Lord's Maya, without his potency, without the universe coming into existence from his energies, There couldn't be a universal manifestation. It would truly be a phantasmagoria. It would truly be an illusion. It would not exist at all without the substance of his energies within it. To the bewildered, the universe appears as a source of knowledge. To the bewildered, it appears like there's knowledge. Look at all the universities, colleges, places of high edu higher education, supposedly, where do they place their stock and trade? Where do they come? What, what do they utilize as the criteria upon which they arrive at all their supposed revelations in relationship to knowledge? Material, yes. Material, all based on material observation. So by material observation alone they arrive at conclusions which they call knowledge. The only problem with their knowledge generally is it's always changing in every sphere. Not just in one sphere, in, mo in practically all of them. They come to conclusions regarding the physical aspects of the universe and say, oh, well, Einstein had it. E equals MC squared. Now we have a grasp of what is happening within the universe and how all the elements interact with each other. So energy equals velocity squared or something like that. E equals MC squared. But they had, they had it solved then. They had it solved to such an extent that utilizing the basis of that mathematic and physical revelation, what were they able to arrive at? They could make their own sun. Energy squared fusion bomb. Look, we've made our own sun simply by this mathematical hypothesis. And then it turns into a hypothesis because 30 or 40 years go by and all of a sudden up comes 
another group of scientists, Einstein is now dust in the wind, they come along and say, well, he had some good ideas, but really there's some things happening under the surface that he wasn't fully knowledgeable of. But we know now, we have the equipment now and we have the intelligence now to say, no, there is a quantum level to the physical aspects of the universe. Now, I don't know anything about that, but it's not the same as E equals MC squared. There's there's things moving and energy's changing and it's... Uh, it's energy and then it's it's a particle and it's energy and it it doesn't it it's there's some randomness in there all of a sudden for hundreds thousands of years everything can be measured and now they come up recently and say well we can't really measure it because it keeps changing form and substance and we can't figure out how it does that and there's no there doesn't appear to be a rhyme or reason but we're getting there <coughs> we'll figure it out sooner or later now this uh, this happens in all their fields <coughs> not just the physical sciences the mental sciences the psychological sciences, the sociological sciences, they keep changing over time because they're all based on the influence of matter. So what was, you're supposed to take so much of this vitamin 20 years ago and now no, no, that gives you some some disease, and that look at what it did. Or you're supposed to you that we're going to put fluoride in all the water because that would do away with uh, you know with cavities, and then you find out fluoride's actually rotting everybody's brain or something. So they keep changing. The bar keeps moving. There's no consistency to that knowledge, that empiric knowledge. It's a problem. But they think it's knowledge. They take it as knowledge. To the bewildered, the universe appears as a source of knowledge. Well, we would argue that true knowledge should be consistent. It shouldn't be here today and gone tomorrow. It shouldn't be accepted by society in one generation to be rejected by the next generation. What kind of knowledge is that which is constantly changing? We would say it's no knowledge at all. The sadhus will say don't put your stock and trade in this knowledge which is like a phantasmagoria. It's here today and gone tomorrow. What is the knowledge of the day is now thrown away in the dust heap of, you know, of conclusions to be replaced with a new conclusion only to have that thrown out in the next generation. And where is it going to end? 
this is interesting. We're going to get into some interesting things here because we're going to see how the materialist experiences Sat, Chit, and Ananda within the material realm. So this is one aspect. The Chit aspect. Knowledge. Eternity, knowledge, and bliss. So they're thinking they're in knowledge in the material realm. They have their Chit. We call it Achit. They have their Ananda. We call it Nirananda. They're thinking their Ananda is in the satisfaction of the senses and we're saying, where's the consistency? Sumati's sitting here in a coat and I'm here in my t-shirt. So, where's the consistency in the senses? Her cold is my hot. Your sweet is my sour. <laughs> Your enjoyment, I can't understand how you can enjoy that. We could not, we'd have a hard time going into into the, the den of inequity, what do you call that? Den of iniquity. Iniquity and shooting up heroin and thinking that was fun. Or taking some drug and just to, to become a drug. And then, why would I want to do that? It makes me a drug addict. A drug addict's like, why do you want to do it? Come on, I live for it. Day in and day out. There's nothing better. My teeth are falling out. My body is is rotten. I'm only 30 years old and I, you know, I have no skin or, you know. <laughs> but I'm a happy kid. I'm in Ananda. Believe me. You just don't know. Here, light the match under my spoon and, and give you a taste of this. And you're like, that's okay. I don't really think that will work for me. Or we can go through, and even in our own life, it's like our fun's there, and then, why the hell was I thinking I'd have a good time doing that? You know? It was great. I was having a great time until the lights and the siren came up behind me. <laughs> then I realized, well, maybe that was not such a good thing. So this is going to come out. Let's we'll walk through these things. So it is also viewed as a source as a source of happiness because of ephemeral pleasures like those in heaven. We just touched on that. So they have their Ananda. So it's looked as a... We, the materialist looks to the material universe as a source of knowledge, as a source of happiness. Therefore, the universe is limited or pervaded by the form of the Lord, but Bhagavan's form, by virtue of the power of his internal potency, is both limited and unlimited simultaneously. This is the import of the entire topic discussed in this Anucheda. Conflicting concept conceptions can exist within the Supreme Lord. He can look to be limited in that he's residing on a planet within the universe in his manifestation as Garbhadakshai Vishnu. He can look to be limited because he's within 
He's a super soul. He's Antaryami. He's the indwelling Lord in every living entity. That seems to be a limitation, wouldn't you think? I got him bundled up right here. But he's both limited, he's appearing to be limited, but he's also spread everywhere. So this is the import of this particular Anucheda. Again, back to the Praman verse. Therefore, this entire universe, Brahma speaking, which is insubstantial, like a dream which covers consciousness, which is full of abundant and endless misery, and which is arising out of your Maya potency, still appears as real because it is situated in you. So as Brahma is saying, it has an appearance of spiritual reality, of significant reality, because it's situated in you. If you didn't, if it wasn't, if your potencies were not in play within the universe, the universe could not exist. Who are limitless and possess a body that is eternal, full of bliss and consciousness. Satchitananda. So, Sujiva Goswami now concludes the topic of the simultaneously all-pervasiveness and apparent limitedness of Krishna's body based upon verses from the Brahma Stava. So, in the last Anucheda, the Lord's body, containing innumerable forms because of inconceivable power, was explained. Now he explains that because of this inconceivable power, the endless mutable material world has the appearance of being eternal. Lord Brahma lists three attributes of the material world. Asat, Swarup, ephemeral by nature. It comes and goes. Asta, dis Disana, devoid of consciousness, although it appears to have consciousness. Puru Dukkha Dukkha, replete with misery. So in this verse, the Praman, Lord Brahma has used these three terminologies. So Jiva's pulled these out. Look at this. It's not permanent. It has no consciousness. So without consciousness, how can there be real knowledge there? It's not a possibility of knowledge without consciousness. And it's full of misery due to ignorance. So those terms. The verse itself, tasmad idam jagat asesam asat swarupam asat swarupam swapnabam asta Disanam Puru Dukkha Dukkha. Verses, in contrast to also in the same verse, like in the last verse, and it's what I find so truly amazing here is how by 
Jiva's analysis of these verses, so much meaning is brought out. So in this verse, by using these three terms, asatswarupam, asta disanam, and puru dukkha dukam, we have asat, universe isn't permanent, it's, a, it's asta disana, it has no consciousness, and it's replete with misery, dukkha dukam. But then he goes on to say, but you, the Supreme Lord, are nitya sukha bodha. Vayeva nitya bodha tanavanante. So, your nitya, eternal, sukha, full of bliss, and bodha, full of consciousness. So he's bringing the contrast. The material world appears to be real, but it's not real in the sense that you are real. It doesn't mean that it's not a manifestation of your energy, but it's not eternal, full of knowledge and bliss. It's devoid of consciousness, full of misery, and temporary. Now, one can wonder, one should wonder, because we have no experience of this in the world. Whenever there's a byproduct, the characteristics of the byproduct generally have the characteristics of the source. So one would say, well, how is this possible? That you can have something, the supreme, absolute, Satchitananda, and having a byproduct of that absolute, which has the exact opposite qualities. So, intelligent person would say, well, how is that possible? Since an effect depends on its cause. But Bhagavan is both, again, the material and the efficient cause of the universe. Efficient, again, back to the definition, the effect of the universe. Not that he's, well, he is efficient, but he's also the effect. So when we look to this word, don't we need to see the context of the word where it's used. So when we say efficient cause, we mean the effectual cause. And he's also very efficient. With a simple spark of his splendor, he maintains and supports all the universes. But if the Lord has the nature of Satchitananda, how can the universe be asat, achit, and nirananda? Brahma replies that such is not the case. Because of the Lord's inconceivable power, maya, although the material world emanates from the Lord, exists in him and it is, exists in him and dissolves into him, its characteristics are completely different from his. <clears throat> and then let's take a look at the other praman that 
Srila Jiva Goswami used from the Vedanta Sutra. It confirms this truth that the Lord creates the universe from his own self and yet does not undergo any transformation. He is like a touchstone which turns iron into gold. He sets into motion the whole universe but remains unchanged. No, I've never seen a touchstone. And if you find one, please bring it to my office <laughs> immediately. Um, but we hear that one's a touchstone exists. And with it, you can change iron into gold. But the touchstone can do that unlimited amounts of time. And there's no change whatsoever to the touchstone. So thus the analogy is applicable in this case. There's no change to the Supreme, even though he can set into motion in that inert matter and make it into a wonderful playground for his separated energies. Like a wish-fulfilling tree can grant anything that you want or accommodate it. They can give we need one of the one or the other or all three of these things would be would be nice. Because a common demon can give you the touchstone. Just because he performs inconceivable and inexplicable acts, there is no reason to dismiss them dismiss them as impossible. Nothing impossible for Krishna. He can do these things. Inconceivable. The Lord's Maya also does the wonderful feat of bewildering by making the temporary material world appear eternal and the material body appear permanent. And he's so good at it, his energy, the material energy is so good that Maharaj Yudhisthira was amazed that here within the material world I'm residing here and seeing that everyone around me is dying in due course of time. But the majority of everyone, they don't think it's going to happen to them. This I find very amazing. So Jiva goes on in the Anucheta to bring out the points that we've touched upon regarding material existence that one who's with under the control of the material energy is perceiving the material world as I'm never going to die. I'm eternal. The world's eternal. You talk, the sun's never going to go out. It's going to burn forever. It's not, it's not in our experience. The scientists will say there's no there's no scientific way that the sun won't eventually burn out, but go to the man on the street and does he think the sun won't rise tomorrow morning? He's perfectly content. The sun will always always be there. I'll always be here. I'm eternal, the sun's eternal, and I'm a happy man. And I know it. Satchitananda, material existence. 
as they say, beauty's in the eye of the beholder. So we need to develop, or and we are developing in good association, Shastra Shakshush. Our vision is being developed through hearing transcendental knowledge from the guru and from the shastra, from the sadhus. And in hearing this knowledge, we don't see things the same way that everybody else does. We can look to the colleges and the universities and say, I just don't get it. You're coming here and you're calling this the seed of knowledge, but just 50 years ago, everything in your science department was presented differently. Your, socio, your social studies department was to, presenting a different history of mankind. And your mental sciences, your psychology department, was, was giving different conclusions regarding the way to de deal with keeping people in a state of mental equilibrium. What kind of a school are you? We could go and we'd make that argument and the dean of science and the dean of psychology and the dean of sociology would say, uh, it would be best if we turned your microphone off. <laughs> I saw this just in a, in a news feed today. It was interesting. A young man was graduating valedictorian, valed, what do you pronounce it? Valedictorian from a high school, and therefore he's the speaker. So you get to give the speech. So he went out there and he started speaking about the shortcomings of the high school administration and teachers and how they weren't doing the job that they should be doing, but we would hope that they would eventually in time come up to the standard. Now, of course, before he could give his valedictorian speech, he had to submit a copy to them for approval, but he switched the copies that he read from. So in the middle of his speech, they turned the microphone off and they had scored him off the stage. Now, this is the best student in the graduating class. He's like... So the same thing would happen if you go to these universities and colleges and, and, and bring to light these kind of thinking. They'd say, well, we don't want to hear it. And they'd definitely remove the microphone because they'd be looking like fools. And from our viewpoint, they are. So Parasara says, in the Vishnu Purana, the same object includes misery, happiness, envy, and anger in different, induces, I'm sorry. The same object induces misery, happiness, envy, anger in different people. How can one categorically determine the nature of an object? One particular object sometimes invokes love, pain, anger, and happiness in the same person. Therefore, material objects do not have the capacity to grant happiness or inflict pain. Feelings of happiness and distress are simply mental states. Are there any questions? 
Thank you so much.